Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. If my voice sounds weird, it's because I just nearly choked on water. Some of you, I'm sorry to say, will be upset I didn't. <laughs> I've seen the hate mail. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson. The phone number, if you wish to be a part of this here program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Look, we will get into Build Back Better. We will even get into the bison-helmeted biblical donkey going to jail But I got to start with something else that I think is actually more fundamental. And I don't know that people on the left understand or appreciate just how bad the situation is. And I'm not talking about Biden's poll numbers. I'm not even talking about the Democrats in Washington per se. I want to – the NBC has an opinion site called Think. They run a lot of wackadoo stuff, I've got to acknowledge, but this is kind of emblematic of the problem Democrats nationwide are facing, progressives are facing, and why I think conservatives should not be so angry or discouraged about the state of things. Here is the headline. Schools face parents who want to ban critical race theory and don't get how teaching works. And the subtitle is... An educator's top goal is to teach students to think. Parents who dictate curricula with their personal opinions, ideologies, and biases hinder that goal. Now, I'm going to read for you a portion of the beginning of this, and I want to say something real quick. I've had a couple of angry listeners uh, email me and say I'm, I'm reading too much. It sounds lazy. I have a philosophical opinion on this. Um, There are times I think I have to read for you the article itself so you understand the context because so many hosts, I think, uh, will characterize something and potentially mischaracterize it or take it out of context. I I think I do a disservice to you if I don't give you the actual word so you can contextualize it yourself. I'm not here to think for you. So I I just, just a little bit of this. Parents and politicians across the country are interfering with the curricula that public schools use to teach students. State legislatures are passing laws to keep critical race theory out of schools. Literary classes like Tony Morrison's The Bluest Eye are banned for sexual content. And school libraries are coming under attack for containing books about gender. There are even parents who are trying to shield students from learning about mental health and suicide as though helping children build emotional fortitude is a bad thing. While the political climate and national involvement in school districts give the phenomenon a broader platform and have more serious ramifications, this behavior is nothing new. Parents have always tried to interfere with curricula, as I observed when teaching middle school in the mid-2000s. Even then, there was no shortage of parental input about the content of my instruction from books to test questions. Part of the problem is that parents think they have the right to control teaching and learning because their children are the ones being educated. But it actually, gasp, she actually puts in parentheses, gasp, exclamation mark, doesn't work that way. It's sort of like entering a surgical unit thinking you can interfere with an operation simply because the patient is your child. Teaching, too, is a science. Unless they're licensed and certified, Parents aren't qualified to make decisions about curricula. In fact, parental interference can actually hinder student advancement. 
An educator's primary goal is to teach students to think. Parents who attempt to influence curricula with their personal opinions, ideologies, and biases hinder that goal. I want to read for you again the last paragraph. Now, this is a, a this goes on and on and on far longer than that. But let me read again this last paragraph. Teaching too is a science. Unless they're licensed and certified, parents aren't qualified to make decisions about curricula. In fact, parental interference can actually hinder student advancement. An educator's primary goal is to teach students to think. Parents who attempt to influence curricula with their personal opinions, ideologies, and biases hinder that goal. I send my kids to a classical education program. And in the elementary school, the goal is memorization. You memorize a whole bunch of facts. And then you get into middle school and you learn how to process those facts. And then you get into high school and you learn how to argue and debate and and use reasoning and and the, the facts that you learned in elementary school to build a comprehensive way to think about the world. I don't disagree that part of education is teaching kids to think, not just to memorize raw data. The problem is that Educators themselves across the country in many cases are the ones using their personal opinions and ideologies and biases not to teach kids to think but to indoctrinate them. And that's parents the problem for parents, that this person doesn't understand this and that this person is emblematic of the whole situation on the left is kind of the problem that we're dealing with as a society. The level of arrogance to say that parents, unless they're licensed and certified, aren't qualified to make decisions about whether children are learning is actually nonsense, but it is the sort of nonsense you get from an intellectual elite in this country that thinks by virtue of degrees, they are somehow better able to tell you what to do. You know what this reminds me of? The Wizard of Oz. Reminds me of the Wizard of Oz. The Scarecrow was a capable, capable person. But what did the scarecrow want? The scarecrow wanted a brain, if I only had a brain. And he gets to the Wizard of Oz at the end of the day. What does the Wizard of Oz say? Oh, you just need the degree. You just need the degree. And he hands him a diploma as if the diploma somehow made him an intellectual elite. They think they did all of this work and somehow they're now better equipped to handle their the parents' kids than the parents are. This is why they don't like homeschooling, by the way. Who, by the way, who, by the way, are, are the kids who always win the spelling bee? It's the homeschool kids. The homeschool kids are always the one who who do the best in the spelling bee and, and the math championship and the like. And what is the criticism of the homeschool kids? Well, they're, they're socially maladjusted. And in some cases they are. But I have a lot of friends who are homeschooled and they're perfectly well-adjusted. There are also a lot of kids in public schools who are maladjusted. The arrogance of this, though, to think that parents 
interference can hinder student achievement. Actually, you know, parental involvement in education is the number one sign of success of a student. The parents who are regularly involved in a student's academic life are the kids who do the best. I mean, this is well-documented. This is actually a data-based approach that parents who are actively engaged in their kids' education far outperform the kids whose parents are hands-off. Here's our problem, and this is beyond education. There is a level of populism growing in the country. In, in fact, uh, a buddy of mine, actually, he sent me an email earlier today. It's an, uh, I'm on his email list. He's a very thoughtful person with a very small um, w- with a very small email list. And where is his email from this morning? I, I can summarize basically what it says. He, wor- he worked for a think tank in Washington. This is not one where I need to actually um, read his email. But he, he all the time, he worked for a conservative think tank, and all the time people would call in and they would lament, complain, and vent about the level of conspiracy theorizing. And, you know, I get it on this program. Uh, everyone has an opinion. Opinions are like rear ends. We all have them. And there are a number of people who have strongly held opinions, and those opinions are in large part opinions uh, that may not necessarily reflect the way the world works, but they're not challenged by this. Like, for example, uh, all of you who, and I don't, I, I don't mean to disparage you, that um, that uh, the COVID protocols they're all about control. Well, it, it's it's a very easy thing to believe. And a lot of people believe that that all the COVID protocols, they, they just want to control us. It's not about fighting COVID or anything else. It's just a control. Uh, you don't like them. You, you, you despise them. You think they're the enemy and, and they're doing this stuff. So therefore, it must be about control. Oftentimes, these very easy one word or, or one phrase answers, uh, they don't really explain the way a complex multifaceted system works. But we like to boil things down to the essence And the essence for a lot of people is control. The problem here is that we as people like to boil things down to the easiest way to understand it. And for many of us with COVID, it becomes about control. But the elite in the country sometimes are incapable of breaking things down to be easy. And they want to over make things overly complex. And so on one side, you've got the, the the average person who wants the explanation boiled down to a way they understand it, and the elite who live in jargon, who cannot boil it down, who love to use the buzz phrases. Have you all ever been to, to, to corporate meetings where you get people in there about, about the vision cast of the corporation? Oh, you, you, you Christian megachurch people love the vision cast. Let's vision cast the, the holistic systems of flow for the dynamic re-collaboration of the whole. That's what the experts do. You, you, it's like the scarecrow again. The scarecrow, the moment he was given the diploma, could use a bunch of jargon that he didn't use before. He could do the complex math equations and spit out the the polysyllabic words. 
That's what the experts do. And the problem is the experts, by virtue of getting all the degrees and the letters after their name, every letter they add past their name is a several percentage cut of humility out of their system. And they get so many letters after their name, they lack the humility to understand that they actually, there's a lot they don't know too. And now the two sides are clashing more and more because the experts have decided in large part a response to the Trump administration and the rise of populism on the right, the experts have decided you people are know-nothings who know nothing, who can't do anything, and you need them to tell you how to live. It's for your own good. And the latest wave of this is with parents, that parents themselves are the problem. And you know where where ultimately all of this leads in a roundabout way, it is a willful refusal to acknowledge the failures of our academic systems in the country. They don't want to acknowledge that the system itself is failing. And they don't want to give the kids a way out because if they acknowledge the system was failing, the question would be how to fix it. And they don't have answers for how to fix it. And Republicans right now, conservatives do. It is to let the money follow the kids and allow the kids out of the failing system and allow the parents to send the kids wherever they want. And so they're left now saying it's the parents' fault. It's not the school. It's not the curriculum. But what's more than that, and what I'm really bothered by, is that this this person who's writing about middle school says it's it's to make the kids think. You know, law school is where you learn to think. College is where you learn to think. You can't learn to think until you've learned the basics, until you've learned to read, until you've learned grammar, until you've learned math, until you've learned your science and your history. You can't process it all and be able to analyze it and think about it. And the schools are failing at the basics. You can't get a kid to think when you haven't taught the kid to read. You can't get the kid to think until you've taught them basic math, and the schools are failing at that. Perhaps maybe just so these educators have gotten too high-minded about their own capacities and have forgotten the basics themselves, that your kids need to learn to read, write, and do math. And these educators have given up on the basics, and they've moved on. They've given up on kids' abilities to do these things. Think about all the people who want to redefine, like, ebonics and the like as, as, as some, some bastion against white supremacy as opposed to admitting you failed to teach basic grammar. Grammar is now racist. The things, have you noticed, the things that the elite have failed are now the things that are racist. They have failed to teach grammar, so grammar is racist. They have failed to teach history, so history is racist. They have failed to teach math, so math is racist. And they have to de-white all of these programs. And now they're saying it's to think critically. Again, your kid can't think critically when they don't even know how to read information. Until educators in this country and the rest of us recognize that our American educational systems are failing, we're not going to be able to move on from this. But here's the thing. This brings it full circle. Parents have realized it. It's the educators and the Democrats who haven't, 
And this is where this whole system for Democrats is starting to blow up as even liberal parents are starting to vote Republican just to stop the madness. Howdy. It's Eric Erickson. Your phone calls are welcome. 877-973-7425. I, we are awaiting the jury verdict in the Rittenhouse matter. There is speculation that it will come today. If it comes during the show, I will let you know as, as it happens. Uh, the speculation is because it's Friday. Even I, when I was a lawyer, we always kind of knew that juries want to be done. They want closure, and, and a Friday is the perfect day to wrap up. So if your trial ended on like a Monday or a Tuesday and the jury got the case and it was kind of complex or, or prolonged, you kind of knew by about 4 p.m. on a Friday afternoon, the jury's ready to be done with this thing and uh, they're they're ready to go home. And so either they're going to say they're hung, uh, meaning they can't ar- arrive at a consensus or they are um, going to move on. Now, here's the thing. I, you know, that guy who was the um, who, who got shot admitted on the stand that Kyle Rittenhouse pointed the gun at him only after he himself had pointed his gun at Rittenhouse. He then went on ABC News the next day and contradicted himself on that. If there's a mistrial and they have a do-over because the jury can't decide, you know he's going to change his story. And that in and of itself is going to be significant. Uh, we will we will see how this goes. Um, but my suspicion is that the jury will probably render a verdict um, before the day ends just so they can get out of there and be done and have some closure on it, uh, come what may. Now, if they are hung, uh, meaning they can't reach a decision, the judge is probably going to push them uh, to go back in there and try to arrive at a conclusion. Uh, We will see. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, y'all, I want to, I, I want to tread on some, some dangerous ground here, I think. And I need to begin by, uh, reading an excerpt from Nellie Bowles, uh, who is a former New York times tech reporter who wrote this, you know, Barry Weiss, who was at the New York times as a, uh, sub very popular Substack, and, um, Bari has allowed Nellie Bowles to write this piece, and I just I, you you need to hear this because it relates to the bison-helmeted biblical donkey who's going to jail for forty-one months. But it's about Kenosha, Wisconsin. A note on Kenosha in light of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Until quite recently. The mainstream liberal argument was that burning down businesses for racial justice was both good and healthy. Burnings allowed for the expression of righteous rage, and the businesses all had insurance to rebuild. When I was at the New York Times, I went to Kenosha to see about this, and it turned out not to be true. The part of Kenosha that people burned in the riots was the poor, multiracial commercial district full of small, underinsured cell phone shops and car lots. It was very sad to see and to hear from people who had suffered. Beyond the financial loss, small storefronts are quite meaningful to their owners and communities, which continuously baffles the Zoom class. Something odd happened with that story after I filed it. It didn't run. It sat and sat. Now, it could be that the piece was just bad. 
I've sent in bad ones before, and I'll do it again. A few weeks after I filed, an editor told me the Times wouldn't be able to run my Kenosha insurance debacle piece until after the 2020 election. There were a variety of reasons given, space, timing, tweaks here or there. Eventually, the election passed, Biden was in the White House, and my Kenosha story ran. Whatever the reason for holding the peace, covering the suffering after the riots was not a priority. The reality that brought Kyle Rittenhouse into the streets was one we reporters were meant to ignore. The old man who tried to put out a blaze at a Kenosha store had his jaw broken. The top editor of the Philadelphia Inquirer had to resign in June 2020 amid staff outcry for publishing a piece with the headline, Buildings Matter Too. If you lived in those neighborhoods on fire, you were not supposed to get an extinguisher. The proper response, the only acceptable response, was to see the brick and mortar torn down, to watch the fires burn, and say thank you. That's Nellie Bowles writing in uh, Barry Weiss's uh, newsletter. Now, I want to play you this montage so that you have a sense of what she's talking about from the way the media characterized these things during the Kenosha riots and the, the George Floyd riots. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, we kick How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? Biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. I said, even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murders. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump, and that's a fact. Look as his character is stabbed to death. Where is John Wilkes Booth when you need him? I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. A Missouri state senator is under investigation by the Secret Service after saying she hopes President Trump is assassinated. I will go and take Trump out tonight. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. And sadly, the domestic enemies to our voting system and wow. our honoring our Constitution uh, are right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. They're not going to stop before Election Day in November, and they're not going to stop after Election Day. And that should be, everyone should take note of that on both levels, that this isn't, they're not going to let up, and they should not. If you think we're rallying now, you ain't seen nothing yet. Thanks to Grabian for putting that montage together. Those are Democratic elected officials and members of the media together, all about the violence. And then you had the rioters in Kenosha, Wisconsin, many of whom, with Democratic prosecutions, were given very light sentences. Which leads me to the brain biblical donkey in the bison helmet. The guy, the QAnon shaman who stormed into the Capitol. Now, 
here's here's where I'm confused on things. After after the storming of the Capitol on January 6th, numerous listeners and people on social media said that it was Antifa. It wasn't really Trump supporters. So I'm I'm just I'm perplexed as to why so many Trump supporters are upset that this bison-helmeted guy got 41 months in prison because aren't you happy that an Antifa activist got 41 months in prison finally after all the light sentences in Kenosha, Wisconsin? Hmm? Aren't, aren't you? Or are you willing now to concede it wasn't Antifa? Antifa had to be there. That's the sort of event Antifa shows up. I, I don't dispute that Antifa was there. I just don't think that they organized it. And this guy clearly was not Antifa. He was a QAnon guy. But here's the thing. There are a lot of people upset that this guy got 41 months when so many of the rioters who burned down Kenosha, Wisconsin, got very little time in prison, if any time at all. And I understand that. I I totally do. But our justice system is not defined by person A in city one doing something and we should hold the standard of justice to him based on what person Y in city two did in a completely different sort of crime situation with different charges. Our system doesn't work that way. You can be upset, but your upset shouldn't be that that this guy got 41 months in prison. It should be that the other people didn't. And there's a different side of this as well. You know who is upset that Antifa didn't and Black Lives Matters didn't get long prison sentences? The voters. Have you all seen what the voters are doing? I mean, I realize people are, are have internalized that the election was stolen in 2020 uh, to explain Donald Trump's loss. But have you seen down ballot what happened? And this is one reason people say it was stolen, because Republicans did really freaking good everywhere other than the presidency. Republicans, there was supposed to be a Democratic wave, a backlash coming, and the backlash was the Republican wave neutralized the Democratic wave. Republicans were expected to lose a number of seats across the country at state legislative levels, gubernatorial races. Republicans really didn't lose anything. Democrats did. That was completely unexpected. Remember, Democrats were going to have a big wave in Texas? They didn't. In Wisconsin, the Republicans held on to the state legislature after the Kenosha riots. The voters are upset about it, and the voters are meeting out justice on the Democrats who failed in the justice system. The Republican response to this brain-biblical donkey getting 41 months in prison shouldn't be that, well, the Kenosha rioters didn't get anything, so he shouldn't get anything. It should be they should have gotten it too, and the voters will pay back the Democrats for not doing it. In San Francisco, California, there's a recall effort against the DA out there, the George Soros-funded DA. In Orlando, Florida, the George Soros-funded DA couldn't run again for re-election because of the crime wave that she caused. Voters are responding. So I don't think that conservatives, if they want to play this smartly, should start behaving like progressives. Because the voters are rejecting progressives. We're going to be back to calling them liberals very soon. 
You know why we call them progressives right now? I assume you know because the liberal brand got so bad they had to rebrand themselves and go back to calling themselves progressives. Progressives were what they were originally called in the early 1900s. And then they changed to be called liberals because the progressive brand got damaged so bad. And now they're rushing back to call themselves progressives, but they've rapidly spoiled the label. You know what? Conservatives have not had to stop calling themselves conservatives. I don't understand the, this whole idea of we got to rebrand conservatism and rethink conservatism and redo conservatism. Why? Why do we have to upend all of our belief sets when the voters are rejecting the progressive left and coming towards us and now think that we, our long-term, long-held solution on education is the viable, brilliant option for education to allow the money to flow with the students? I'm I'm not sure why conservatives are so angry. The voters are responding against the Democrats negatively because the Democrats have been light on crime, because they have wanted to defund the police. We should not be so insistent that the people who stormed into the Capitol on January 6th shouldn't be punished because the voters want them all punished. They want the rioters punished too. And I got to tell you, it just, again, I remember after January 6th, I was willing to call them out. And the number of well-meaning listeners who said, I don't don't know if you know this or not, but I I realize you're getting your information from the mainstream media. But, you know, if you watch this video on on Rumble, you'll see it was actually, it was Antifa. And and if you look at these people who were there in the crowd, they were Antifa. And and that, that bison guy was at an Antifa rally and it's proof he was Antifa. And it really, you should stop saying it was it was people who supported Donald Trump because it was really Antifa. I, I, I saw it on the internet. It must be true. Well, if it must be true, why are you people upset he got 41 months? Why are you upset? Antifa got it. Except so many of you really know. And, you know, the problem is I point this out and they get, I just, I can't believe you would point that out. I just, you're rubbing people's nose in it. And I, I just, I, 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 I think it's, it's all, you shouldn't rub people's nose in it. No, I, I'm just pointing out that uh, a lot of people had some level of delusion about what was happening and, or trying to tell me I was wrong. And, and no, Antifa was there. You mark my words. We're going to find that Antifa was in Washington. We are. But I don't think we're going to find they were the organizers. And I think our outrage should not be that we have no system of justice because it's unfair what happened in why in Wisconsin compared to Washington. You can't do that. That's not the way our system works. For you to say that, well, because they didn't get have it coming to them in, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, it's, a, it's appalling that they had it coming to them in Washington. That's not the way our system works. We have 50 states. The outcome in one state doesn't define the outcomes in the other state. It has never worked that way. But the voters are responding to it anyway, and the voters are responding in our favor. So I'm not sure why so many people on the right are outraged by this stuff. I really, I am perplexed by the level of anger and rage on the right right now when so many voters are themselves headed to the right and you're going to greet them with yelling. The fact of the matter is that 
you need to be good witnesses for your side. Can you imagine if Jesus Christ, when he was trying to get the early Christians to go out and say, preach, teach, and baptize in my name and beat the hell out of the other side? Yeah, that'll lure them in, won't it? Get in their face and yell at them. Yeah, that, that'll that'll make them Christian. Same way with, with the Republicans. Uh, let's get in their faces and yell because that's what the left does, and they're so dominant right now. All right, have you paid any attention? The left is losing because they're doing that. Stop embracing their tactics and strategies when it's not even working for them. You're just upset because they get better media coverage, and you should stop being upset by that because that media coverage is a secret weapon for the GOP. And I'll get to that in a little while. Right now, I want to get to you. Listen, I can't sell you many more of the Gen 40 Eden Pure heaters because they are running out because so many of you have bought them. So if you want one, you better go get one. You go to EdenPureDeals.com and you see my name, Eric Erickson, there. You click through, you'll see the Gen 40 heater. It is a fan. It is a, a great fan with a heating element, circulates air, warms up a 1,000 square feet very efficiently, and it will help you with your power bills this winter as the power is going up. So go to EdenPureDeals.com, put it in your cart. At checkout, you'll see a discount code. And in the discount code, you put Eric Heater, E-R-I-C-K, Heater, all one word. You will be able to heat up that small space in your house, 1,000 square feet. I guess that's not really a small space, but anyway, you'll be able to do it. Now, I will tell you, I do put mine on the front porch with me when I have people over on Sunday nights when it's cold because I have a propane heater, but that propane heater only stretches out so far as well, and it can get really hot. So we can put the Gen 40 out there and point the heater in someone's direction who's cold and warm them up with some good airflow. In the summer, you don't have to put this thing away because it's also got a great fan. You just run the fan. It is perfect. A two-for-one package. Right now, you'll get $20 off the lowest sale price and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. Use the promo code at checkout, Eric Heater. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, There are rumors circulating online that the trial, the jury has reached a verdict in Rittenhouse. If if so, we're going to spend some time, obviously, uh, digesting it as it comes in, uh, because I do think it's important, and we've all been paying attention to it. Right now, though, I just we're, we're waiting to confirm all that, and it'll take a while to get it all, the jury and everything out, if that's the case. 158 years ago today, something remarkable happened, and at the time, you know, it's kind of funny how there are little events in history that don't seem very consequential and turn out to be hugely, enormously important. Like uh, an archduke was uh, killed in, in what, Bosnia, in, uh, in, in Franz Ferdinand, and suddenly it started World War I. Was it majorly significant the day that it happened? But 158 years ago today, something very significant happened. A very small speech was given four score and seven years ago. Our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of it as a final resting place for those who died here that the nation might live. This we may, in all propriety, do, but in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men 
living and dead, who struggled here have hallowed it. Far above our poor power to add or detract, the world will little note nor long remember what we say here, while it can never forget what they did here. It is rather for us the living to stand here. We here be dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they here gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. The world will little note or long remember what we say here. I had to memorize that speech in fourth grade. I had to memorize that speech. It was little remarked upon that day. and has become one of the most famous speeches ever given for its brevity and its power. It happened today, 158 years ago, at Gettysburg. And we should probably continue to take it to heart that we resolve that the dead shall not have died in vain, and we give ourselves a new birth of freedom, something so many people on both sides of the aisle these days seem to have forgotten that we're supposed to commit ourselves to. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution if you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business. First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan. Say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com. 